some of those rodeo times were were uh, providing Logan, my son, and me with some of the the best experiences, the best stories that I can remember. Just uh, tons of adventuresome bonding together, and and uh, we had a great time developing stories. And and then it was at some point that uh, we started getting hurt a lot. That Kim kind of nixed the whole idea and said, enough of that, enough of the rodeo thing, but we provide some great memories. You know, I'm 47 years old, and, and some of my fondest memories of growing up are still those times when my dad and I went out into a field, kind of like this, and uh, his favorite thing to do was to rescue, he called it rescuing, my mom called it junking, but finding old junk cars out in a field someplace, half buried, because it looked to him like a treasure. And so he and I would grab our chains and the four-wheel drive ch truck, and we'd go out there, and, and it was just some of the best times for me spending with my dad rescuing these old trucks. You know, one of the worst casualties, I think, of our 21st century American culture is those times that sons spend with their dads, just doing adventuresome things, bonding together. You know, between the multiple youth sports leagues that we run back and forth to every week, to uh, our economy forcing moms and dads to have to work more hours and being busier and busier, um, just to our suburban lifestyles, it just seems like those precious times that our sons and dads share together are, are, are fewer and far farther between. Um, just being sacrificed, it seems like. You know, if you could take a kid and, and look into his mind, I'm, I'm sure you would see that boy saying, I just crave adventure with my dad. You know, he, he, you could just, you can probably just see the wheels turning in his mind saying, Boy, I just want to go to school next week and say, Hey, guess what me and my dad did? And then also, if you could read the minds or see into the heads of most of our dads, I'm sure you would see that dad craving um, the opportunity to be a hero in his kid's mind. I'm sure he's, he's probably saying, you know what, when, I, when my kid looks at me, I want him to see Indiana Jones. And uh, you wives out there, it'd be kind of cool having a couple of Indiana Jones in your life too, wouldn't it? You have to admit that. But anyway, uh, that, that whole interaction, I think, is being lost a little bit in our society. And it's for that reason that here at Grace Chapel, we are creating what I'm calling Me and My Dad. It's going to be a monthly father-son adventure time, and the adventure is going to range from, from canoeing to fire building to you name it. Every month, we're going to get together, fathers and sons, and do some adventure. This very first one uh, is going to be Saturday, February 4th, and we're going to go to the rodeo. And uh, I promise you moms out there that uh, we will not get on any bulls, although we're going to arrive ahead of time and kind of go through a back behind the scenes tour and uh, meet those bulls up and up and personal. And so uh, I have some sign-up sheets out in the foyer. Come see me if you're interested. February the 4th, Saturday. And uh, let's have fun together. Let me tell you, eight seconds is a really long time when you're on that bull. And Logan can tell you, it seems like forever. Uh, me and my dad, we're starting this coming Saturday. It's going to be a monthly 
uh, just fun adventure time with uh, dads and sons. And um, there's some directions and uh, out there on the table. You can ask me, grab one of these, tells you how to get there. We're just going to meet there, meet early enough that we can go back and, and meet those bulls up close and, and personal. At a, uh, some people come up to me in between the services and say, introduce me to a young guy named Alex. And uh, unfortunately, Alex does not have a dad in his life. And, and they said, he'd really like to come, but doesn't have a dad. And, and I said, Alex, you and me are going to go to the rodeo. And so we're going to find a way to pick up Alex. So if you know of a, a fatherless son or a sonless father or uh, whatever, that would, uh, or a dadless kid or whatever would like to come, um, just see me. Well, Jeff has been uh, making a little transition the last week, I guess, from our, our series of Follow the Leader into what will be coming next week, um, a series of 40 days, six weeks worth of sermons that will correspond to our 40 days in the Word. Um, and you'll hear, you have heard, and you're beginning to hear much, much more about that. But we're in kind of a transition time um, in between, and, and uh, I'm going to be talking today about being connected. So let's just watch this first. in Chicago. The house was run down, weeds growing up everywhere, apparently abandoned. The house finally came up for auction back due to back taxes. Someone bought the house and went in to clean it up. And what they found was horrifying. Instead of finding an old, run-down, dirty house, they actually found a man named Adolf Steck, who had apparently died of natural causes. Next to Adolf Steck, sitting in his reading chair, was a newspaper. That newspaper was dated 1997. Apparently, this man had been dead for four years, and no one ever noticed not a neighbor, not a relative, not a friend. How is it that someone can die and no one ever knows? Tragic, tragic story. How is it that someone can die and no one ever notice? I want to start by reading a, a good-sized chunk of scripture that will uh, be very, very familiar to you. In fact, it's found, it's actually on page two of my Bible. The earth, this is the account of the heavens and the earth 
when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, but for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man that he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first was Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of the land is good, and aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon, which winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river, Tigris, runs from east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take, take, take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you do, you will surely die. And here's the punchline. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for us to be alone. Now, God created us to thrive in the midst of relationships, not in solitude. It is not good for man to be alone. I'm going to take a little break here and get up on one of my soapboxes. If I had a soapbox, I'd actually get up on it. But some of you, there are a handful of you have heard me speak uh, more regularly. And uh, you'll, this is kind of a, a reoccurring theme for me. And you may get tired of hearing it, but tough luck because I think it's cool. So um, you're going to hear it anyway. So I, this, I, I'm really convinced that when we wrap ourselves around this statement, it has an impact on every aspect of our spiritual lives. And this says that God created us on purpose, for a purpose, and in his image. When we can wrap ourselves and understand the depth of what that means, I am convinced that we can get just more powerful in our relationship with him. God created us on purpose. We were not an accident. We were not an afterthought. We were not an oops, look what happened. We were not a couple of protons or neutrons or whatever floating around and hitting each other and becoming a, a, a cell which over billions of years multiple, you know, and then all of a sudden, we're, no, we were created on purpose. God said, this is what I want to do. This is my thought for procreating my plan, for putting my plan into place, for giving me pleasure, for giving me some entity that can worship me back. God created us because he wanted to and because he meant Two, we were created on purpose. And when I, when I understand that deep down inside, it makes a difference. And I was created not only on purpose, but I was created for a purpose. 
Have you ever asked yourself, like so many others ask yourself at some point in your life, what, why do I exist? What, what does this even mean? Well, it means something because God created us for a purpose. Why do we exist? We exist to honor him, to praise him, to give glory back to him. We exist to give fellowship to him. We exist to be a conduit, to be a part of his plan and to accomplish his ultimate plan for his world. We were created for a purpose. We matter. And we were created in his image. And this one, I think, is just the most meaningful to me. The God who put the stars and the sun in place. The one who created the headwaters and told them where to go. The God that created clownfish. The God that created giraffes. The God that put the sun 93 million miles away from the earth to keep us warm. He didn't put it 94 million miles away because we would have all frozen to death. He didn't put it 92 million miles away because we would all be fried. He put it 93 million miles away, just perfect. The God that knows every single hair on our head, some of us that have fewer than others, but he knows, he, he, he knows, and when they fall out, he knows when the sparrow falls. That God poured out his image into me and you. We were created on purpose, we were created for a purpose, and we were created in his image. Okay, so once we wrap ourselves around that, I think that is so important because that means that everything that we do, everything that we are, everything that we think, all of those things work better because he created them and they work better if they are aligned with the way he created it. Okay, so track with me here. If I was uh, an inventor and I wanted to invent this gadget or this machine that would do whatever. Okay. And then I got all the pieces and I designed all the pieces and I, I formed them and I fabricated them all. And I knew that exactly 126 pieces are in this thing. And that one has to interact with this one. And this one does that. And when that toggles this, then that happens. And I put this all together and it did the job that it was supposed to do. Then I would know that if something's missing there, it's not going to work right. If that piece is missing and that piece doesn't connect to that piece, it's not going to do what it's supposed to do because I'm the inventor. Well, that's what God did for us. He poured his image into us and he created us on purpose for a purpose. And he created Adam and he looked down, he breathed life into Adam. And Adam stood up and was walking around tending to the garden and the trees and, and he gave him instructions. And I'm sure God looked at Adam and it says right there in the Bible that he looked at his creation and he said, this is good. And then in his next sentence, because he created Adam, he looked down at Adam and he said, it is not good for this one to be alone. It is not good for us to be alone. We don't work right. God's invention doesn't work right when it's alone. God created our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our psyches to work better in the context of relationships, in being connected, and even more so when we're connected to fellow Christians. Why? Because God created it that way. Because that was his idea. Because he made us that way. We work better when we're not alone. In fact, bad things happen when we're alone. When we're an old guy named Adolf Steck and we die alone, 
bad things happen. I don't know if you remember, this goes back, um, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago. I remember, I remember reading this story. Um, I didn't go back further than that. But there was this, this 13-year-old girl named Carrie in California. It was in the news at that time. Carrie was discovered by authorities when she was 13 years old. Her father and mother had born Carrie. And her father and mother hated children. I don't know what was going on, something tragic in their whatever, but they hated kids. And why they even had a kid, I don't know, but they despised kids. I mean, they despised kids like a hundred times more than the Burgermeister Meisterburger in the Santa show. Remember him? They hated kids. They took... <laughs> she's going, not me. I'm not. Um, they took Carrie. I mean, tragic story. They took Carrie... He built like a porta potty kind of a thing and a harness to keep her upright and put her in the garage and kept her there. And twice a day, they would go out and give her a couple of spoonfuls of baby food and a drink of water. And that was the entire interaction with Carrie. She stayed out there her entire life, not interacting with anybody, not being taken care of, not moving off of that stool. When she was 13 years old, authorities found Carrie. And she weighed 59 pounds. She could not speak. She could not move her limbs. Tragic, tragic story. Living a life of a vegetable, basically. They took her uh, into foster care. Some loving parents. They fed her. Health began to become back to carry. But even years and years and years later, uh, she never could speak more than two syllables at a time. Gained a little bit of weight, but never could walk. Never could move her. I mean, bad, bad, bad things happen when we are alone. And yes, that's a tragic story. You've also probably heard, you know, many of you may have read those stories about those famous or infamous um, orphanages in Romania back in the like 60s, 70s, where huge numbers of children were confined to their cribs with no one speaking to them, no one caring for them, no one touching them, food kind of thrown in there. And these kids couldn't, you know, they developed all kinds of problems. Couldn't walk, couldn't talk, couldn't socialize. Bad things happen. And, and those are tragic, certainly. They're extreme, yeah, but it just proves the point that God created us. He said, you must not be alone. You will not, you as a human, you as my creation, will not work right if you're alone. And those are extreme. But we all know of cases of less extreme. Our, our churches, our Christian culture are, pop, are populated with people who are, are malfunctioning because they're not connected. And they walk around society, we walk around society, and with, with nothingness as far as fulfillment is concerned because we're not connected. It's really, really important. I, uh, when we first moved, when Kim and I first moved to this area about 20-ish years ago or so, um, we, I was working at the YMCA in Lebanon and a lot of, began to meet some, a lot of people. And people found out that I was a triathlete. And so they were constantly introducing me to uh, cyclists and runners and swimmers and, and uh, began to get to know more people. One, one of the first guys that I met at that time, his name was Bob. And since then, Bob and I have become very, very close friends and have done lots of fun things together. But one, on our first bike ride, or maybe it was a second bike ride together, we were just riding out in the countryside. And um, I said, hey, Bob, you, you, you go to church someplace? We're trying to look for a church. And, and, uh, and uh, would you have some suggestions? We were just kind of chatting. And, and he said, well, you know, 
I go to the church of the bike. And he's like, I go to the church of the bike. And and he explained it this way. He said, um, I, I, I've not really been much for church, and but I... But I, re- I recognize that God needs to be in my life. And, and I've just found that, that God speaks to me when I'm out on my bike, when I'm out riding in nature. And, and uh, I, I just appreciate the nature and I feel like God is speaking to me and I can commune with him. And, and so that's what I've just chosen to do. I, I worship and I go to the church of the bike. Well, in his next breath or the next two or three breaths, he admitted to me that he was feeling disillusioned and, and out of touch. So in one sentence, he was saying, oh, this is he was justifying himself, basically. I, I just worship church. And then the next breath, he's saying, well, but I, I just feeling ill at ease with with my community and, and that sort of thing. Have you heard somebody say something like this? Well, you know, my Christian walk is is something that's personal to me. And, and I, I feel like I can be just as good a Christian if I just do it at home. Maybe I'll listen to the radio or watch TV, and, and I don't really have to go to church. Have you heard somebody say something like that? I think we've all heard somebody say something paraphrased like that. But if you also notice that many of those people are the same ones that are kind of floating in the wind as far as their spiritual wellness, it's that way because God intended us to be connected. God intended us to not work right if we're alone. We can say all we want, we can justify all we want, we can explain it away all we want, but there is no way we can get past the point that God created us to be connected. There's a real popular character in the Bible that knew this all too well. His name is Solomon. You've heard of Solomon. Solomon's story is really, really interesting. He was the heir apparent to David's throne. And there's a whole complicated story about how that came to be. But when it finally came to be that Solomon was going to take the throne from David, um, God asked Solomon, tell me what you desire. And Solomon at that point said, God, I want wisdom. God must have really liked that answer because God imparted onto Solomon this great amount of wisdom. And people still talk about Solomon as being the wisest person ever to live. And there are stories in the Bible, incredible stories about people coming in his, you know, his kingdom, coming to him, asking him things. And through his incredible wisdom, he would work out the problem for his kingdom. Well, that played well for Solomon because his kingdom grew. And the more God blessed his wisdom, the more God blessed him with wealth and blessed his kingdom with growth. And it grew and it grew and it grew. And he began to build castles and build, built the temple, uh, amassing just unbelievably large flocks and uh, wealth and, and servants and this and that. And uh, still people to this day say that all, you know, given historical context or whatever, Solomon may have been the wealthiest person ever to live. God blessed Solomon like crazy because of his walk with him and because of his wisdom. Well, in the middle part of Solomon's life, all of that began to start crashing. And Solomon began to to rely on his work ethic and rely on his wealth and rely on his popularity. And they were were in in a land which God had said, don't intermarry these people because that's going to water down my people. And Solomon at one point said, uh, you know, I, I can do what I want. 
and started marrying wives from that land, from Egypt. And over the course of some years, his popularity, his kingdom, everything, his spiritual life became a spiraling downward cycle. And he began to fall away from God. And that lasted many, many years. Well, fortunately, the rest of the story says that God and Solomon came back together late, late, late in his life. And he began to reflect back on what worked and what didn't work and and how his relationship with God crumbled after a certain time and why that happened. And it was during that time, very late in his life, when he was reminiscing about his troubles, that he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And the, the theme of Ecclesiastes is meaningless. Everything's meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. And it's kind of a depressing book to read if you don't know the context. But we're going to pick it up in chapter 4, verse 7. And this is Solomon speaking. He said, Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they can give good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can pick him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Two can defend themselves from being overpowered. And a cord of three is not easily broken. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Well, I thought, I wonder if we could demonstrate that. You've been wondering what the, you thought, hey, he's going to break these with his head. No, I'm not. No, I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to demonstrate what God through Solomon was talking. He said a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So I have a cement block here and I have just regular yarn and I'm going to tie one strand around this block and see if it can pick it up. Kim said, how are you going to do this with your big fat fingers? But, okay, so one strand doesn't even come close to moving that cement block, right? So I wonder what would happen if we used two strands. Okay, a strand of one is easily broken. We just discovered that. This should be twice as strong, I would think. So we're going to try this. I'm going to fix it first, then we're going to try it. You could hear a pin drop out there. You're like, oh, this is exciting. (laughs) Okay, two. Let's see if that can pick that up. Okay, kind of could pick it up, but if it jiggles, it breaks. Okay, could barely pick it up. Well, I wonder if we would do three strands. And I'm just going to skip the little block, and I'm going to see if three strands can pick up twice the weight. So two strands was a little bit stronger than one strand. But a cord of three 
is not only a little bit stronger, it's a lot stronger. And my suspicion is that we could probably add more to that. See, God knew what he was talking about. A strand of three cords is not easily broken. And in God's economy, one plus one plus one does not equal three. One plus one plus one equals way more than three. When we're connected, when we're alone, we break easily. When we're connected, maybe just a little bit, we're a little stronger. But when we're connected a lot, we become way stronger. So what's this mean? What's it mean to be connected? I like when I'm doing a lesson, I really like answering the specific question. What does this mean for me? How does this impact me? What's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. If we want to be strong, we need to be connected. And I think there are three, at least three or multiple layers here that I'm going to propose to us why it's good to be connected. The very, the surface layer, the one kind of up here, the surface layer, I'm going to call this life is just easier when we're connected. Uh, we were watching TV the other night and I saw a commercial for Angie's List a website called heard of Angie's List. Angie's List is a website where you can go and, and see reviews about different goods and services in your community. And it's populated by people just in the community who review certain goods and services. Is this a good thing? Is it reliable or whatever? They upload that onto Angie's List so that if you need advice about where to go get a plumber or where to get your car fixed or whatever, you can go there and see uh, reviews. Well, this particular commercial was about um, babysitting. And so there were a handful of mothers that were giving these testimonials on this commercial saying, I needed a babysitter. I didn't really know where to find a reliable, trustworthy one. So I went to Angie's List. And you go on Angie's List and you can find a reliable babysitter. And now I found so-and-so and she just was perfect and, and we really like our new babysitter. Thank you, Angie's List. And I can remember watching that commercial being kind of dumbfounded because I thought... To myself, I mean, I don't need babysitting. Unfortunately, our kids are old enough that they can babysit themselves if they want to. But if I, I was thinking to myself, if, I look, if I'm looking for a babysitter, I'm not going to go to a website and rely on... Why do I even need to do that? I have 300 people here. Plus, first, I have 600 people that can be my go-to all I have to do is ask the people that I'm connected to because I have a church home. I'm connected. I'm connected at a, a kind of in a culture at the YMCA. I'm connected um, through people that I recreate with. I don't need to go to a website. I need to go to the people that I'm connected to. Hey, do you know a babysitter? Yeah, we know a babysitter. She's great. When we're connected, we're str- life is just easier. I don't have to rely on websites to tell me stuff. When I'm connected, life is just easier. Um, I, I have done a lot of missions travel. And uh, oftentimes when I am taking a group to some place, Kenya or Mexico or wherever, um, I'm often asked to, to greet, be kind of the spokesperson and greet the uh, people at the church or the group that we're meeting. And one of my favorite things to do when I greet them is to give them this uh, illustration. I'll say, I, I'm a Christian. My name's Kevin. I'm a Christian. The Bible says that because I'm a Christian, I am a child of God. That makes me God's son. And then I look at one of the people in, uh, 
in the front row. What's your name? Sean. Sean, are you a Christian? Yes, he's a Christian. So that makes you what? God's son. Okay. So if God's if 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 he's God's son and I'm God's son, what does that make you and me? Brothers, right? And that's a cool illustration. I can get on an airplane in Cincinnati and I can fly 650 miles an hour for 10 hours and end up somewhere. Parachute down and I'm going to find some Christians somewhere. Because that person is God's son or daughter and I'm God's son, that makes me that person's brother. I'm connected. I'm connected because God made it that way. He created us that way. And when I... I, I don't even have to speak the same language. I don't have to look the same. I don't have to act the same or have the same culture. But God put me together with that person because he connected us through himself. Life is just easier when we're connected. That's the surface layer. The next layer I'm going to call life is more fulfilling when we're connected. Life just has more breadth and depth and width and it's just fuller and richer when we're connected. I like to hunt, and I have friends that hunt with me. And I can, just, I can hunt with those guys. They're great guys. But there's a whole new dimension of that when I can also worship with those guys, when I can laugh with those guys, when I can cry with those guys, when I can celebrate with those guys, when I can mourn with those guys. When I'm connected with more than one strand, hunting's one strand. We can have a great time hunting. But when I can add those other strands, it just brings more breadth and depth and width and fullness and richness to life. I can, I can have acquaintances here. And I'm, I'm new enough that I'm, I'm still in the acquaintance phase with a lot of folks here at Grace. And I'm in the haven't even been acquainted phase with many, many of you. And I can be acquainted with you. I can greet you. I can shake your hand and give you a hug. I can say, how was your week? That's one strand. But if I have an acquaintance at church and I greet and then on Wednesday I go on a bike ride and then Friday I'm in a life group with that person and then on Saturday I'm at, at his house and we're praying for his daughter who's sick or whatever. That just I'm, there, I'm adding strand upon strand upon strand, and I become so strong with that person that nothing's going to break it. Life is more meaningful. Life is more full and rich when we're connected. And then the final layer, the deeper layer, I'm going to call life is possible when you're connected. Last time I spoke here, which was the first time I spoke here, um, I told the group, and I don't, if you were here, you may remember, I said, um, my rule of thumb for myself is that in, it, in every sermon, I have to include a Kevin, you're a moron story. Okay? So this leads us to this week's Kevin, you're a moron story. And it goes way back to when I was in fourth grade. So, so you know, it's evident that even as a nine-year-old, I was a moron. So anyway, fourth grade, we lived in Buck Creek, Indiana, little dinky town, town north of um, West Lafayette. And um, Saturday afternoon, my friend and I decided we were out playing and, and our parents just said, you know, go play, come back when it kind of gets, starts to get dark. And it was in that era and time where you could just go do that. So we're out playing and, and um, we said to each other, hey, let's go to the, the cliff. We called it the cliff. Well, about three or four miles out of town, there was this very steep 
dirt, loose dirt, gravelly, wasn't quite a cliff, but a, a real steep area. And we liked to go out there with our friends and, and go up there and slide down, then climb back up and slide back down. And, and so, hey, let's go to the cliff. So we went to the cliff. Well, um, you had to get off the road, kind of into the woods to find this place. And we didn't tell anybody where we were going. Oh, we'll be back before dark or whatever. We'll just go to the cliff. So we went there and we're, we're playing, having a great time. Well, this time we noticed that on off to one kind of side of the cliff, there was a huge boulder that was partially sticking out of the dirt. And the closer we examined it, the, the bottom of it was flat. So it's maybe sticking out a foot or so out of the, out of the face of the cliff, and the bottom was flat. Well, we, we said, I wonder what would happen if... <laughs> okay, nothing ever happens that's good after somebody says, I wonder what would happen if... Or if somebody says, hey, watch this. You know, nothing ever good happens. Okay, so I get my Swiss Army knife. I wonder if we could make a cave out of underneath that rock. And the rock, because it's flat, could be like the ceiling or the roof of the cave. Okay? It's like, yeah, 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 let's do that. So with knife, and we're, we're digging out under, under the cave. And then my friend would scoop the dirt out. And we'd dig some more and scoop the dirt out. and dig. You, you see where this is leading, right? Okay, so at one point we're kind of half in, half out, and I'm half in, half out. He's out, and the boulder <laughs> crashes down on from here down, just crushes my leg, and I know it's broken. And uh, it was just, I mean, screaming, yelling. We're nine years old, and my stupid friend. Last time I said stupid in church, this little kid back there said, you're not supposed to say stupid. So anyway, my good for nothing, lousy, miserable friend got scared and ran away. Never saw him again. Okay, here I am. I'm crushed under the boulder. Don't know what to do. Pain, scream, yell. We're out of sight from the road. So even a passerby is not going to know anything. Can't hear. And so what do I do? And... At some point, it's getting late, starting to get kind of dusky. I know my mom and dad are probably looking for me. And uh, so I begin digging and digging and digging. And after a long, I mean, as a nine-year-old, it seemed like hours, but I can't remember how. You know, anyway, was able to dig myself out from under the rock. Got my bicycle, blood everywhere. And uh, it wasn't broken, so I could kind of half limp or walk. Got my bike, walked back to town. By that time, it's dark. And I'm scared what's going to happen. So I go up to our house, throw the bike down, kind of drag myself up onto the porch. And my dad comes through the front door. And he says, you, my son, are awesome. Look at all that blood. That's really cool. It's going to have a cool... No, he didn't say that. It did put, it, I do have a cool scar. But after it got cleaned, cleaned up, I got in trouble for not telling where I was going. But anyway, I remembered that story. Because Jesus told a similar story in the book of Matthew, chapter 7. And he he used the word home builder instead of stupid moron. So um, we'll pick this up in verse 24. He said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rains come down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, 
and it came down with a great crash. Bad things happen when we're not connected and when we don't build our house on something solid. Bad things happen when there's this big heavy thing that's going to fall and you take out all of the support system underneath it. Bad things happen when you try to build a building and you call the building inspector and he says, oh, well, what's this? You didn't build a foundation. As soon as we get a record rainfall like we did in 2011, your building's just going to fall down. When we build ourselves on one strand, when we build ourselves without a foundation, when we build our lives, our, our psyches, our emotions, our activities, everything that we, we build that on something that's sandy or one-sided, when we get bumped in life, it's going to fall down. It's going to crash. And we are all going to get bumped in life. You cannot escape it. When we lose our job, when our family member gets sick, when our marriage becomes rocky, when our kid gets in trouble, whatever it is, fill in the blank, you are going to get bumped in life. And when that comes and you have built on sand, bad things happen and things crash. Grace Chapel wants people to build lives on three-corded strands. So what does that mean? What does, how specifically does that impact me? Jeff and I were talking the other day in the office and we were saying, well, what's this look like? What's it look at? If we're going to say that we want people to, uh, to have a three-quarted strand, what's, what's that look like? Well, we, we kind of agreed that, that those three things, that in the very least, one of them should be, well, you need to come to church. My friend Bob said, well, I can worship on church of the bike. Well, that doesn't work. You need a community. We all need a community. I need a community. I need a place to go where I have friends and I can talk and interact and, and celebrate and cry and laugh and all. I need a church community. Come to church, strand number one. That's a start, but it can't be a finish. Strand number two, we've, we've been encouraging, and, and Jeff was up here last week kind of, uh, he was afraid to say, I want every single one of you in a life group because we didn't want to put the pressure. But we wanted to, to do more than a gentle urge. Because we want to add strands. We, we recognize that if I add a life group or if I add what we could call an affinity group, maybe a, a group of people who have like um, tastes or whatever and would like to meet together. And it, it's a group. It's another strand. And so this thing called 40 Days in the Word that we're going to be starting next week and, and Jeff has talked about life groups last week and this week. Out there, there's a table that, um, that has signups for all of the life groups. They are multiplying by God's grace, we had you know four to begin with, and then seven, and now there's eight or nine to choose from. There's actually we had such a response for people wanting to come to life groups during the second service that um, we've had to split that into two. So there are actually two life groups meeting um, starting next week during the second service. So you can come to the get up early, come to the first service, and then just stick around. There was actually somebody last week who said, hey, I, I think I'd like to lead one of those life groups, but how about if we did it before the first service for early risers? And so we're, we have one out there for, for that. We have a weeknight evening ones, Sunday. There's a whole bunch out there. That could be a second strand for you. Join some sort of group, whether it's a life group or a, just an affinity group of people. Be in a group. 
And then thirdly, serve. There's something powerful that happens, and I'm, I'm sure it's just because God created it this way too. There's something powerful that happens when you serve. Whether it's being a greeter or helping out with the life group or bringing refreshments to this or that or coming over once a week to clean the bathrooms over in the impacts or whatever it is, serve. And when we put those strands together, they become very, very, very strong. And I, and I would say when we put those things together, when you build your house on a rock, when you, when you, when you get that interwoven thing going in your life, then you can say to the winds and the rains, bring it on. Not that we want trouble, but we know it's going to happen and you can't get away from it. And we can say, bring it on because I'm ready because I have connections who can help me. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We praise you. You're an awesome God. We thank you for your lesson this morning for the people who have gone before us. They were children of yours who can give us instructions and give us um, helpful hints on how to be closer to you. Lord, we pray, I want to pray uh, and thank you just personally that you've guided me to so many people that can uh, be another strand in my life. And, and I, I just pray that you would uh, enable me to be a strong strand in someone else's life. Lord, we just uh, lift up today to you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.